From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. The Swamp came alive for the first time in 2021 on Saturday with a packed house treated to a ground game that racked up 400 yards and saw some new stars emerge from the backfield. Not to be outdone, the revamped Florida defense pitched a shutout for three quarters and showed a tenacity up front that suggested a much more resistant unit than the one it fielded a season ago. On today's show, FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry joins us to recap the opening night action, the emergence of Anthony Richardson, areas in need of shoring up going into week two, and remembering how the sports world reacted to 9-11 in the PAT. Then, junior offensive lineman Ethan White joins us to discuss the evolution of the line, how the strength and conditioning program molded him into a new player, returning to his Tampa Bay home this weekend, and much more. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. All right, let's get things going in this week's roundtable, which is, uh, it, it's kind of a square table today. It's a square me. table, yeah. It's just me and it's Chris. Uh, Gator Scott is not feeling well. Uh, he does not have COVID, though, just has a cold going around his family. So uh, his voice was not able to be there with him. So we hope he is doing better next week. We look forward to talking to him about the Alabama game. So, uh, Chris, it's uh, it's mano e mano today. Let's, yeah, let's it's talk. Like a, it's like a it's like a bistro table on, on, a, <laughs> on a cafe or something yes, sitting an, there. Yeah. An outdoor table, an outdoor yeah, table. That's fine. That's um, fine. So let's let's talk about the opener. You know, I think we discussed last week some of the expectations and thinking what it might look like. But ultimately, uh, you know, being out there and, and seeing what the 2021 Gators looked like, at least rolling things out. What were your impressions, especially relative to your expectations? Um, well, my expectations were probably a lot like uh, a lot of people. Um, uh, you know, I think we all thought Emory Jones would look a little sharper. Um, then 17 to 27 for 113 yards, a touchdown and two interceptions, especially when those two turnovers, there's two, inter, uh, uh, rather one of the interceptions was a, uh, uh, a throw into the end zone. That was uh, a poor read that he was laid on. Um, and the other was on a miscommunication on a, on a fourth and four from a fourth and goal from the four. Uh, so, so, I mean, those are two red blown red zone opportunities, I think, in, in if Florida had played a lot better, if he had played a lot better, uh, that 35-14 final score would have been uh, a little more lopsided, obviously. I mean, the, the yardage uh, is probably what, about what I thought, 553. Maybe FFU, FAU had more than I probably gave, than I would have thought they would have, 353. Um, a couple more possessions, obviously, with the turnovers. But um, what I liked about everything since then is that uh, is Emory Jones's um, reaction to the whole thing. I mean, he, he, he knew immediately after the game on our zoom call, he, you, you could tell it wasn't a thing where he was defensive when these questions came his way, uh, especially in light of the fact that night Anthony Richardson have when you, when you look at, uh, <laughs> I mean, seven carries 160 yards, he's averaging almost 23 yards a carry. <laughs> Uh, electrifying uh, 73 yard touchdown run, leaping uh, tall defenders in a single bound. I mean, that was a really, really kind of a, a impressive, impressive, wildly athletic performance turned in by the redshirt freshman. And of course, it's it's easy, uh, you know, reaction Sunday to start uh, throwing darts and what have you and making assumptions or, or just demanding that there's going to be a quarterback change. When in reality, you know, that wasn't going to happen uh, period. Uh, this needs to play out. Emory Jones is going to get better. I think if you look at uh, Dan Mullen's track record, his teams get better. Um, and I think this offense will get better. I think Emory Jones will get better. That's not to say Anthony Richardson didn't kind of announce himself as someone who maybe deserves a few more reps. We'll see how that plays out. But I think even I think the Garden Variety fan probably can understand um, a concept that 
you know, Florida goes in to play Florida Atlantic. Uh, they have USF this week. We'll get to that in a few minutes, obviously. And they're not a very good team. Uh, and then Alabama the week after that, which um, they are a good uh, team. My, my, my sources say they're a good team. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know how much you're going to roll out and start showing the against the the Florida Atlantic Owls or against the South Florida Bulls. Frankly, I'm not making excuses for them. I mean, I started out by saying Emory Jones. I wanted to see him play well. Everyone wanted to see him uh, play well. Wanted to see him play a lot better than he did. But uh, you know, let's see. Let's see how he reacts to that. Let's see how he responds to that in the game this week. We're not filing him away yet. No one's going to do that. Certainly Dan Mullen's not going to do that. He made that clear before he even left, uh, went inside the tunnel after the game was over. So that's, you asked my initial, that, that's what everybody was talking about. Beyond that, um, if you want, if you wanted a sarcastic kind of like the, <clears throat> excuse me, the Gators kind of look like the Baltimore Ravens, right? Uh, a, a team that relies almost exclusively on gaining yards from the quarterback. I mean, with their, you're, you're talking about you know, two two quarterbacks accounting for a 230 yards of rushing or what have you. So, um, in Dan Mullen's perfect world, uh, he doesn't want to have 400 yards rushing and only 153 yards passing. That's 72 uh, percent rushing yards. Um, he talked about being 50-50. What he means by 50-50 is is snaps, uh, run to pass uh, calls. Uh, <laughs> this thing's 72% production rushing to, to passing. Uh, that's, that, that's not conducive to what they face in the Southeastern conference. That's going to have to change, but, uh, at least you can't complain about the running game. They gain, they, they gain yards in the running game. And I, I think they're going to have a chance to gain a few more, uh, this weekend. By the time when they go into Alabama, they may be the number one rushing uh, team in the Southeastern yeah. conference statistically, but, uh, I don't know if that's going to make much of a difference by them, but that's the conversation we can have next week. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting, too. You always hear people talk about coaches and their systems and what fits. And I think one of the things that, that Mullen has done consistently that we've seen is he fits the scheme, the calls to the personnel, right? So a few years ago, uh, Florida could not run the ball to save its life, right? So the offense was still productive. They scored points. It was almost entirely through the air. And with a lot of the essentially, you know, runs replaced by screens or quick hits, things right. that, that jet, almost jet, jet, jet sweeps to Kadarius exactly. Tony. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then then last year, Florida was more balanced, still still more of a passing heavy offense, but running the ball better. Now it seems like the scale has flipped the other way. And now Florida is going to be a more run heavy team. Not to say it's to the extent that you were just talking about statistically, but the idea that the offense will sort of go as the personnel goes. This is not Mike Leach. Like this is the system is reliant on what guys can do. And I think that it's, you know, I think it's, it's good to see that even though the weapons look different this year, it seems like Florida is going to adjust to that accordingly. This is what we talked about last week when we were saying, what, what were we looking forward to seeing? I wanted to see what kind of pecking order was going to develop in the running game. And right. uh, I, I was surprised that Malik Davis started the game over Damian Pierce. And I want to say uh, one, maybe the second carry of the game, 31 yard carry, something like that. And uh, uh, he ends up with a second, <clears throat> excuse me, hundred yard rushing performance. He averaged seven, over seven yards of carry. Emory Jones averaged over seven yards of carry. Uh, Damian Pierce averaged over five yards of carry, scored a couple touchdowns. Demarcus Bowman only had four carries, but he had five yards of carry. Uh, and we mentioned, obviously, Anthony Richardson with a whopping 23. So so I don't think anything's settled in terms of the 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 pecking order with tailbacks, but but we do know that you know they have potential back there and we'll see what that potential is. What I think Mullen will use this weekend uh to find out more is where who are the receivers that are going to step up? I think a lot of us maybe expected Jacob Copeland yeah. uh, to assume one of those uh, go-to positions. He caught one pass for 15 yards. I think it was on the first series of the game. Trent Whittemore only caught, caught one pass. Uh, Rick Wells, someone who's been here six years and someone you know, who had never scored a touchdown before, he caught five. He was the leading a receiver along with Damian Pierce out of the backfield. Justin Shorter, four receptions. Uh, Jamarcus Weston, the, <clears throat> the redshirt freshman, um, three catches. You know, he had one long one, 36-yarder, I believe. So who are those guys going to be? I mean, Xavier, Xavier Henderson didn't catch a ball at all. Yeah, uh, That's a guy who I think has a chance to be a star here. So uh, the, there is no script yet. Um, the cast of characters will change. The next this this week will help start flushing it out. But I, I think I think they would rather they would like to have uh, come this time next week when we're doing this podcast a, a better sense of who are some, who are some guys they can count on in um, 
third and difficult situations, and there will be some third and difficult situations. But we've said for last several seasons, since Dan Mullen got, he's one of the best play Carl's in the country. He'll, he'll have some stuff for Alabama. He's going to have to have some stuff for Alabama because, and there's going to be up to some, there have to, there's going to have to be some cases where the Gators outsmart Alabama because Alabama's not a team that beats themselves. They'll be very disciplined on defense. Uh, they, they looked unbelievable the other day. And so did Georgia. And that's a conversation for even further down the line. Um, but uh, who, who these people are, who are some of these perceived or down the line go-to guys? We still don't have a definitive answer on that. All we did was get uh, little teases on that front. In terms of the quarterbacks, and you know that's the storyline that dominates, and it's it's always going to be right. We we freely acknowledge that even before the season, you just know it's what it's going to be about. I guess that what we didn't anticipate was that Anthony Richardson would have the type of impact he did and how electrifying it would be. And again, I'm I'm not trying to draw a direct comparison here. It, it does take some gumption, if you will, uh, to be a quarterback at Florida and request the number 15 <laughs> and then to come in the game. And honestly, the last time a quarterback came off the bench and had that type of impact on the swamp, I remember because I was a freshman at the time. That was when Tim Tebow came on the field in 06. And the immediate understanding was, okay, maybe this guy is not the starting quarterback, but he's going to have a role because he's simply too talented not to. Now, that was simpler because he and Chris Leak had such complementary skill sets, whereas Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson essentially are kind of the same type of quarterback in terms of what they do. So I, I don't know what that'll look like, but do you think it's fair to assume that even if Emory Jones remains the starting quarterback and improves, that it's going to be hard to keep Anthony Richardson off the field? Dan Mullen referenced that in his uh, in his Monday news conference, that exact scenario, had said in 2006, Tebow would have a, a, a game plan for him it involves six or seven plays. And, you know, a lot of times they were spectacular plays and they would get the fans excited and start making them jump to all these conclusions and, and what have you, but it was a game plan and Anthony Rich was going to be part of the game plan. And uh, as we saw, it's not going to be exclusive to taking snaps from center. The guy was on the uh, hands team in the, yeah. on the onside kick at the end of the game. He was their intended receiver on a hail Mary at the, at the end of the first half. Uh, he was the guy jumping up in between five uh, five different uh, Florida Atlantic defensive backs on that play. They were going for him because of that vertical jump. This guy's 6'4", 240, and we saw what he runs like. So it, it's a different kind of animal, and, and Florida fans were excited, and rightfully so. Um, uh, how this plays out, uh, you know, we don't know. But uh, one of the things I really liked, Adam, if you – you know, we're all, we all are on Twitter. I saw – uh, Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson having some back and forth on Twitter yeah. that was very complimentary of each other. And that's a good thing. And I've been here before when quarterbacks weren't exactly complimentary of each other. Not, not that there was social media back then, um, but you knew for a fact that they weren't particularly close. These guys seem to be close. And I think that will help uh, carry this on and carry this in, a, in the direction it needs to be. And if when the time comes, if there is some kind of uh, – measure of, 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 of snaps start changing and reps start changing, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how they handle it then. It's no different than the basketball players when they start seeing the minutes get distributed. Anthony Richardson probably played the role that he was told he was going to play going into that game. It's the, what happened in that role that right. changed everything. The fact that he had these, you know, huge explosive plays Emory Jones had some explosive plays, but no one was talking about him. I mean, maybe at this week, Emory Jones will have a 70-yard touch, touchdown run, which he's certainly capable of doing. But I think the fans would rather see him have a couple 70-yard touchdown passes, probably. Yeah, no, no question yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the defense, and I'm, I'm sad that Scott isn't here because he said he was most excited to see uh, what it would look like if, if Desmond Watson, the freshman, got out there and, and, you know, and, and was making a difference. And it, it was hard to it was hard to miss him, right? I mean, six five, four hundred pounds, and as part of that defensive line, and I think we could also talk about you know Zach Carter, uh, Sack Carter, SEC Defensive Player of the Week with his three sacks, nice. um, and Jeremiah Moon on the other side. I mean, Florida's defensive line did look pretty formidable, which I know is something that that a lot of people were, were looking to see. Three sacks from Zach Carter. I mean, he was he was terrific, and uh, but I tell you what, I. I 
I really like seeing Jeremiah Moon involved. I mean, this is a guy who's really had a hard time getting on the field because of injuries and what have you. And in, in playing in that game the other day, he became the first player in school history to play in six different seasons. Some guys have had a sixth season of eligibility, but there's always been a, a redshirt season in there where they didn't play at all. Um, COVID obviously uh, made this possible uh, for Jeremiah Moon, and he could have gone on, I'm sure, and 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 you know gotten a look somewhere in a training camp somewhere. But he came back and he showed up in the first half. I think he had five tackles in the first half, and he um, I think had a couple, at least at least one quarterback pressure or whatever. And he, he he's a guy who can make a difference, can really help that team. Um, we didn't see Tremaine Truesdale, who's defensive lineman that we talked a little bit about last week, the instant eligible uh, late uh, signee from from transfer from Auburn. Uh, so I think we're going to see a lot more of him probably this week against South Florida. I don't think that you can make any definitive kind of claims about what happened with the defense. They gave up some big plays, uh, certainly in the fourth quarter, but I think there was with a, a, you know, a decent amount of backups on the field at the time. Um, I think they fixed some things that maybe didn't look so good early on. They had so they bowed up some on third down, um, and and you know the, the 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 pass rush, the pressure up the middle was much better than we saw last year. Again, you take it with a grain of salt because of the level of competition, and again, you'll do the same this week because South Florida is not a very good team. But uh, that's the stuff you want to see. I mean, you, you can only play who's in front of you, and uh, I think there's some things to build on from that. Yeah, and it's going to be hard to take that much from this weekend as well because as we talk about USF. Um, we try and be as honest on this show as possible. USF is not a very good team. Uh, mm-hmm. They're a program that is rebuilding under Jeff Scott, who was the offensive coordinator at Clemson. And it's funny when you bring in coaches who are coordinators at super successful programs, and it's like, wait a minute. So I, so you're telling me that without Trevor Lawrence throwing the passes for you and without Travis Etienne in the backfield, you can't be as good of an offense. I guess that's the yeah. thing. Um, he's, uh, he's Jeff Scott, which was the case in the Georgia game, by the way, right. Which the other was, day, exactly. <laughs> with, with, with the same coaches, there. which yes, yeah. with you know, Dabo Sweeney <laughs> does not look like as great of a coach without right. those individuals either. Yeah. Um, but yeah, USF lost 45, nothing to NC state in their opener. They were one in eight a year ago. Um, yeah, they're obviously a team that at this stage, Florida would look to beat maybe even, uh, more convincingly than they did FAU, which is something that I know fans are going to want to see going into, probably, I don't know, the biggest challenge to enter the swamp in who knows how long the following week in Alabama. Right, right. And and so 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 you sell it this way. I mean, a trip to Tampa where Florida has not played in a regular season game since 1989. Obviously, they played the Outback Bowl there a few times and um, circumstances, obviously, for a bowl game are, are quite different. But um, you're going down there. It's it's going to be two days after uh, Tom Brady and the Bucks open against the Dallas Cowboys in that same on that same field. It's uh, one of the best stadiums in the country, obviously. And um, they got five players, including Sack Carter from the and Malik Davis, who two guys we already mentioned, who are who played there in Miami. Uh, uh, excuse me, played there in Tampa. Malik Davis played just up the road. Uh, I'm going to say maybe a, a par four away at Jesuit High School <laughs> from the stadium. Um, uh, just uh, you know, it's an opportunity to go and to go into a, a, a city which is you know along the lines of Jacksonville, a huge Gator town. Um, and the people down there are going to be excited about it. Yes, it's a USF home game. Who cares if the, the game's going to be, I would imagine the crowd will be uh, by far uh, more tilted in the Gators' favor. Sure. Um, it's funny. We did a story. Joey Johnston, who's uh, one of my dear, dear friends from my days at the Tampa Tribune, who's in my wedding, um, he wrote a story about uh, – it's a good story, uh, some good, cool little nuggets in it about uh, Florida's um, – you know, the history of playing games in Tampa goes, it dates to, I want to say 1909, I think was the first time they, they played it. They actually played Georgia in Tampa one time. They've played, I think, five different SEC teams in Tampa over the years. Mm-hmm. One of the last times was uh, 1949, they played Kentucky down there. And uh, Bear Bryant was a coach of Kentucky. Kentucky won 49 nothing. But one of the one of the problems with the game was there, there, was, there weren't enough tickets. And for, I want to say for the next 17 years, uh, Florida did not play in Tampa. And there was just pre- constant pressure to finally to build a stadium that could finally hold uh, more than 20,000 people, which they played at the old Pepin Root or at the old plant field down on the University of Tampa, uh, right down there uh, uh, on the river where you see those those minarets that looks kind of like uh, the Kremlin down there in downtown mm-hmm. Tampa, people that are familiar with what I'm talking about. Um 
but it, but finally came the 45,000 seat uh, Tampa stadium was built. I want to say in 1967 or 68, they played a few uh, NFL exhibition games there. University of Tampa guys like Freddie Solomon and John Matusak played their home games there. Um, Florida actually played university of Tampa there. Uh, I want to say three times uh, in Tampa, I believe uh, over the course of the, of the history. So this is the, this will be the 45th time Florida has played in Tampa. Wow. And um, again, uh, not a regular season game since 1989 when the Gators uh, gave Mississippi State half a million bucks to play their home game, move their home game from Starkville to Tampa in what was Emmett Smith's last season. So uh, uh, it's kind of weird that it was Mississippi State, it was Florida. So there's uh, both have ties to Dan Mullen, mm-hmm. you know, you know, Dan Mullen rolling back into Tampa. And I, I think you can, I think you can sell that game that way. But more than anything else with regards to ambiance and atmosphere and all that stuff, it they need to tune up and they need to be a lot sharper, obviously, for what awaits them uh, the week after that. And I think it goes without saying, uh, and I don't, I don't believe he listens to the podcast, so we're not putting any extra pressure on him. But it, it's it's a very important game for Emory Jones because it, we all know what happens when the, the chatter starts to happen, especially now the way it gets amplified in the, the social media age. Um, you don't want the storyline going into Alabama to be who should play quarterback for Florida. There's going to be so many questions they have to answer about Alabama. That's a fundamental one you do not want to worry about. So I think not just externally, but internally, it's very important for Emory Jones to show why he had that job in the first place and give some confidence, not just for himself, but for his teammates, that he can lead them against Alabama and is the right person to do so. All right, well, I'll just say this. Let's say Emory Jones comes out against uh, the Bulls and, and has a great game. The subject is still going to be talked about who the quarterback is Alabama week. I guarantee it. it's a CBS game. It's one of the first big games of the year on CBS. And they will be taught the Florida angle will be about quarterbacks and what have you. And if Emory Smith has Emory Jones has a great game, they'll be saying Emory, Emory Jones coming off a great game against USF. But how's he going to fare against and, and waiting in the wings? This guy. So that's that, that's going to be there no matter what. Um, but to your point, uh, and to the points originally, I mean, I think I think he's got his head screwed on correctly. Mm-hmm. And I think he has for a while because it goes back to the things, you know, we said the last uh, the last podcast, uh, uh, you know, he's been a good soldier about this. He's waited his yeah. turn and does would not help him in any way. I like the fact that he looked and he was on a Zoom call at, with all the reporters after the game. the other night. He goes, I'm going home right now to watch tape and see what happens. So mm-hmm. that's a good thing. Assuming he did it, I'm going to take his word for it. And I think he went right to work and he came out and he, he said he wasn't nervous. He did some things that were out of character for him, that he, he, he misreads that he, that he normally would make. And it, is it concerning? Sure it is. But as long as you recognize mistakes those are correctable mistakes. That's what Dan Mullen said Monday. That's what Emory Jones said Monday night. And you know that all this week that they've been working on correcting those mistakes. And this is a good game for them to kind of roll out and kind of fix some things. Uh, if, if, if the same kind of things rear their heads, then, uh, you know, you know, we'll maybe have a different conversation next week. Let's move on to our PAT this week, uh, which is about the 20th anniversary of 9-11. That coincides with this game on Saturday, and certainly there's going to be a lot of things happening around this game and all games to commemorate that. Uh, And and I just remember, Chris, thinking back uh, 20 years ago, um, and a lot of people listening to this podcast that are younger probably don't remember a lot about that day, that time, but I remember the role that sports played And it's one of those things where something like that happens and you immediately recognize, oh, wow, sports are ultimately not that important. But then at the same time, you recognize the role that sports can play in helping people get back to a sense of normalcy and create opportunities for people to come together. I mean, think about the first pitch that uh, President Bush at the time threw at the Mets game and just the, the galvanizing effect of sports and its ability to bring society together in difficult times. I'm gonna I'm gonna go in a different direction first, just by saying I remember uh, that week, obviously for for any number of reasons. But I mean, if you recall, so this happened on a Tuesday, mm-hmm. and within two days, the Southeastern Conference saying we're playing football this week. Uh, you know, we're gonna go. It'll be a you know, it's patriotism spectacle, blah blah blah. And the NFL took its time. And Paul Tagliabue said, we're not playing because he was 
drawn to the memory of the decision by Pete Rozelle, who always regretted it, of playing uh, two days after John F. Kennedy was shot in 1963. Mm. And it's something that that really sullied um, Rozelle and, and bothered him for years and years. And I remember doing a story, and for the life of me, I can't remember if it was a one-year anniversary or when I was covering the NFL, one-year anniversary or five-year anniversary. I think it was the one-year anniversary. And I remember uh, talking to uh, Ernie Accorsi, um, who was with the Giants at the time, and saying he thought that that moment, the day that Paul Tagliabue said we're not playing, was his finest hour as a commissioner. And Paul Tagliabue had a very distinguished time as commissioner. And I also remember for that story I wrote talking to Jeremy Foley. As soon as the as soon as the NFL said we're not playing, guess what happened? SEC said we're not playing either. We're out. And yeah. everybody everybody started canceling the weekend and made that weekend about a weekend to mourn and a weekend to remember. And I remember talking to Jeremy Foley and pinning him down a little bit on this and him saying, you know what? I knew as soon as we made that decision, it was the wrong one. It just mm -hmm. did not feel right. Um, and did it feel right the following week? Maybe not. Uh, I don't know. But uh, we had to get back to normal eventually. I remember I was covering the, the Bucks at the time and their old uh, uh, training grounds, Adam, was right next to the airport. Literally, you would walk out. The, tr the field is right next to one of the runways. Tri uh, planes would land right, in, you know, right across the fence at these practice. And you know, obviously, it was five or six days before a plane took off. I remember being in the trailer there, the press trailer, and hearing oh, this jet going out and seeing a plane take off. And I was the first plane that had taken off. You know, they finally cleared the airways to start flying right. planes again, and it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Just like uh, fans getting going back into stadiums and having those uh, uh, moments of silence and seeing those flags and and the level of, of patriotism that was going on at that time. And you know, I imagine uh, there'll be some of that going on this week. I would imagine uh, you know the the day of the game here, uh, September 11th here. Um, you know, Central Command being uh, right at the end of the peninsula in South Tampa. You know, they'll probably have a very nice flyby for that game and. Uh, probably a hell of a moment of silence uh, before that game starts. And I remember we talked about too on, on a PAT maybe last year, or the year before about Super Bowl halftime shows. And I think, I think you were the one that, that referenced the, the U2 show in New Orleans. New Orleans. That was, mm -hmm. the, right, That's right. was after that when Bono had the jacket with all the, and they opened up the jacket with the flag and they had all the names. I actually, I was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a few weeks ago and they had an incredible exhibition on Super Bowl halftime shows and they had that jacket, the jacket really? that, that Bono wore that was really cool. Do um, they have, did they have any video of any of those shows? Or like little, little like splices of videos yeah, from the yeah, shows? They, to yeah, they have, and I, I didn't realize too, the reason they had this exhibit was because they hosted the NFL draft this year. So when huh. the draft happened a few days before they opened this exhibit, since it was right next door to mm -hmm. kind of uh, connect those two. But yeah, there's, they show clips of some of the biggest ones. I mean, all sorts of, all sorts of really, really cool, uh, cool artifacts. And even something as big as they had the, uh, I don't know if you remember this year's show with the weekend in Tampa, where he had the, we was back in the crazy hallway with the mm -hmm. mirrors. They mm -hmm. had that hallway there. So I, I actually did a, a video <laughs> trying to really? mimic that oh, disorienting, cool. nauseating, spinning around in circles in the in the hallways. But yeah, so just to, to bring it all back around, uh, you know, sports are inevitably and, and inextricably tied to some of these, the biggest moments of our lives. So it's going to be an emotional weekend for many, for sure. Uh, and we will have it covered from all angles, especially as it pertains to the Gators. So check out Gators Chris on Twitter and at FloridaGators.com for full coverage of this weekend's game. And then next week, We'll be back. We'll talk about the big one, Florida, Alabama. But in the meantime, Chris, uh, enjoy your trip back home to Tampa, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Thank you, Adam. When Ethan White arrived on campus, he was undoubtedly a project. While he had performed well enough at Calvary Christian in Clearwater to get a variety of offers, at 400 pounds, he needed to fully give himself to the strength and conditioning program to become the type of agile athlete the SEC requires of the big guys up front. White did just that, trimming over 50 pounds and becoming one of the new anchors in the offensive line. We spoke to Ethan about his story and personal transformation, but began our chat by acknowledging the incredible change in the swamp from 2020 to 2021. Last season's opener, obviously, I was I was sidelined with the injury, but being out there on the sideline, really, that's one of the things that you get to really experience and appreciate the fans, and that's something you kind of missed last year. It almost felt like a, 
a scrimmage or like an orange and blue game type environment, even less than that. It was, you know, obviously you got to bring your own energy and stuff, but when there's thousands of people out there cheering for you and supporting you, it's just, it just adds another level to it. You know, it's funny, I was watching some videos from this past weekend, and even there was one uh, that was during the, the Tom Petty part, the uh, I won't back down at the end of the third quarter, and I saw you know the players getting really into it, and, and you think about things like We Are The Boys and that as fan things, but really, when you see it from that perspective, it seems like the players are really engaging in that stuff as well, which, which makes it feel like a much more, I guess, shared experience in that stadium with, with the team as well. Yeah, um, that's definitely something we look forward to. And obviously, it's always a lot more fun when you're winning. <laughs> but yeah, no, that that's something it's really cool to just hear, you know, 90,000 people all on the same page with the players, the fans, everybody in the stadium, just kind of sharing the same experience, kind of all feeling the same thing. It's a really neat time. So many athletes talk about, you know, separating uh, performance, right, from the external things that you can't control, which is the fans, the noise, the booze, whatever it is. Um, what What's the, the balance there of, of taking that in, as you just talked about, but also making sure that that doesn't distract you or, or take you out of that mental space you need to be in? I think when you're on the sideline, it's kind of when you can more appreciate and, you know, take in the fans and the experience. But Personally, for me, when I'm on the field, I don't I don't hear the fans. I don't see what's going on in the stands. It's kind of all focused on the game and what's going on and just, you know, trying to focus on the task at hand. Hmm. Well, obviously, you guys were, were very focused on the task at hand on Saturday. Not only did you win, but put up over 400 rushing yards, which usually suggests it's been a really good night for the offensive line. Um, so for an opener to have that type of performance what do you think led to that? Why were why was your unit so successful on Saturday? I think part of that 400 yards was a lot on the quarterbacks. Obviously, you know, we we did what we could do. We blocked, you know, did our assignments. But there's times where it's not on us. The quarterbacks like Anthony and, and Emery just make plays on their own. And that's kind of what they do. They get the ball in their hands and they make things happen. So we just kind of we try to cover guys up. You know, we got explosive backs and, and quarterbacks. So. We just cover guys up, you know, stay in our lanes and uh, take care of our assignments, and they really make the rest happen. We'll get back to talking about uh, what's happening on the field in a few minutes, but I want to take a step back now and, and talk about you and, and sort of your background. So uh, take us to the beginning. Can you tell us about your family and uh, and where you grew up? All right, so um, I grew up with my mom and my little brother in uh, Clearwater, Florida, and I've been there my whole life. So, you know, I've always you know, known about Florida Gators and stuff like that. But growing up, I wasn't really into football that much. So, you know, just kind of growing up, knowing about sports, but not really being super into it. And then once I got to middle school, high school, I kind of got into sports and then it's led to where I am now. What was it that got you into sports? And was it like, was, did someone see you walk around and said, Hey, you, you should come play football. <laughs> Actually. Yeah. That, that's what happened. Me and my mom, my little brother were at a park one day. Uh, and this guy came like he was jogging and he came running up to us and he's like, hey, do you play football? And we we're like, no. He said, oh, you should come out at so and so place for uh, weigh ins and tryouts. And I went out there and I was about 40 pounds bigger than everybody else. So I had to go to a different league that was by uh, age limit, not size. So wow. that is actually how it all started. <laughs> so what part of you says, hey, this is an interesting idea versus why is this guy stopping and talking to me in a park and telling me what I should do with my life? Uh, when I was younger, I always had kids that played football, like, I mean, friends that played football. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've been around it, but it was never just something that really, you know, interested me that much to go out of my way to be a part of it. And then once I started playing, it was just kind of something I, you know, I, I liked. And after a little while, I was pretty good at. So, yeah, what, what was it that got you into it when you started competing? Was it just that was it just that you were good and you saw you could be good? Or was there something else about the game that, that really locked you in? Really, when I started kind of the relationships, getting like getting to know guys, it's kind of like, like I said, I have a little brother, but after a while, the guys on the team kind of become like your brothers. And it's kind of just like, you know, the bond with other people, you know, it's just something you don't get, you know, outside of a locker room. It doesn't matter like where you come from or who you are. It's just kind of you all have one goal and you're working together towards it. So that's kind of a really cool thing for me. So when you started playing, were you immediately playing on the line or did you try out a few different spots? What, what was the evolution of your uh, your position? Oh, no, immediate line. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was big, straight to the line. 
Was there was there any part of you that thought, no, I I want to catch touchdown passes. I, I want the glory. Or was it like, nope, that's that's me. I'm good with it. Oh, I wanted to, but I knew I couldn't. <laughs> I see those little guys running around out there and I've no, that's not me. <laughs> Um, were there any other sports other than football that uh, that lended themselves to your size, your strength, et cetera? Uh, when I was younger, I played basketball, and I, I did for a year in high school. Hmm. Um, that was more just kind of – it was fun. I wasn't very good at it, but I was always a tall kid. So, you know, I'd play and I'd, you know, just get rebounds and stuff like that. But I do <laughs> feel like that kind of helped with, like, athleticism and just kind of moving your feet and working on balance that kind of translated to football. Were you just kind of the guy like camped out in the paint? Everyone's jumping up, trying to get the ball. You're just holding the ball up and yep. no one can get to it. Pretty much. <laughs> That's pretty effective. So I feel like you probably were pretty good at that, but was, was there a point where that was no longer the, the game changed, I guess, in high school? Yeah. Once you get to high school, they can all jump. So, you know, if you're tall, but they can jump, it's kind of balances out. And I wasn't <laughs> right. the best shooter, so it wasn't that fun anymore. <laughs> lost, lost the competitive advantage, I guess, at a certain point. Yeah. Um, who or, or what would you say have been the biggest influences on your athletic career? Um, early on, I'd probably say the biggest influence was my, my first little league coach, Coach Dwayne uh, Randall. He, he kind of just kept me there. There were times when I, I, you know, I wasn't really sure if football was my thing or if I would, you know, keep going with it. And he kind of just always had positive message and, you know, was supportive and just kind of, uh, you know, was there like kind of help keep, keep everything positive. You know, if you have a bad day, like, you know, just kind of, you know, be there for you, like, and, and let you know that not everything's always going to be okay, but you just kind of got to keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about, uh, in terms, we talked about playing and having to play in a different league because your size, I was just thinking about, uh, in the, the blind side when Michael Orr is like, He's just so much bigger than all these other guys. He's blowing them over and he's just wiping people out. Was it like that? I mean, were there times you had to almost pull back or they said, hey, maybe maybe be less physical because of, of your, your dominance and your size? Well, here's the thing. In my league, we were all 11 and 12 years old and the whole line was over 220 pounds. We were a lot, really? of, we were a lot of big kids. Yeah, like that league, I think it's PAL, the Police Athletic League. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all, it's all age, no weight limit. So I went against kids bigger than me. I went against tiny kids. Like there was, there was a fair mix. It wasn't necessarily just killing people all the time. Wow. Were there ever any guys bigger than you or did it always, was it always a, a one way relationship? Oh no, there were, there were a few that were bigger than me. There were some big boys out there. And where are those guys today? Do we know? I'm not sure, but I, I just remember, <laughs> I just remember most of the games, my mom would have to bring out my birth certificate because people wouldn't believe the ages. <laughs> How old, how old did they think you were? I probably like 13 or 14, but I was playing with the 11 and 12 year olds at the time. So okay. They, yeah. Well, that's not, that's not like, I mean, that's not like Danny Almonte. That, you know, if one thing yeah. they thought you were like 18 and you're supposed to be 12, a couple years there, I, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Um, so I imagine given your size, given what you were able to put on tape, there was a lot of interest when it came to recruiting. Um, what do you remember about that process? When did the first offers come in? What, what was that like for you? So recruiting for me actually was kind of slow. Um, really? I started my, my, I started my high school career at a small school. Uh, nobody had ever gotten a D one offer there, which mm-hmm. I wasn't aware of when I went there. So it really like my first, my first offer came from North Carolina. And part of that was my little league coach who I mentioned earlier, his cousin was the coach there. So he kind of told him, hey, there's this kid at this school you should go take a look at. So when when I had my first few offers, um, the coaches really said we, we'd never heard of the school. So it, it kind of took some time. I don't think I had an offer until my junior year, that, uh, that spring football season. So I wasn't I wasn't necessarily one of the guys that had offers earlier, a lot of offers. Was the school Bishop Sycamore? <laughs> <laughs> no. It was not Bishop. Okay, we just had, no. had to check. Had to check. Yeah. Um, so when the offers started coming in, um, what what guided you on that process? What were you looking for? What was important to you? I knew I didn't want to go too far from home. I wasn't I wasn't sure where exactly because, like I said, I, I was never really that into football when I was young, so I didn't necessarily have a favorite team. But I knew I didn't want to go too far, and I didn't like cold weather, so that kind of narrowed it down a decent amount. Mm-hmm. And then when Florida offered – you know, I came up here on a visit and I was like, this, this seems like the right spot for me where I can, you know, really kind of develop. So then I just, I 
this was kind of the best of both worlds. It was, it's warm, it's close to home and it's a good spot to be. Mm -hmm. What else was it that, that stuck out to you about the program that, that made you feel like this was the place that, that you could be your best? Honestly, it was, it was like the way the coaches are at other schools. Sometimes they'll kind of tell you what you want to hear, or, you know, kind of play to what they think you want to hear. And mm -hmm. this, when I was, when I was recruited here, it was kind of just honest. We, they, they told me, you know, you're, we're going to work you. We're not going to let anything be easy. And, and they did. And that was really just kind of it for me, the honesty and not kind of sugarcoating things like other programs might have. Mm -hmm. um, I know when, when you got to campus, you were close to 400 pounds, um, but immediately you got to work with Coach Savage. Uh, I know you've talked about this a lot, so I, I apologize for making you talk about it again. I'm just curious what it was like developing a program to change your body to that degree and how difficult was it to get that process going? It wasn't necessarily difficult because I didn't have to do it all on my own. You know, mm -hmm. Coach Savage, he kind of put a program together and his staff, Coach Ackenberg, Coach Tanner. And it was really up to me to just kind of be disciplined and do what they say, be consistent, follow the program. And, you know, obviously there were days when you'd come in and gain a few pounds and be like, damn, that's not part of the plan. But, you right. know, just kind of trying to stay the course and being assistant as you could be consistent. What were the biggest changes you had to make? Was it about, was it certain foods you had to stop eating? Did you have to work more in certain areas, maybe cardio, et cetera? Like what, what was it like and how was it different from what you'd been used to? I mean, it was just the whole college workout experience is just different than what I was used to. It was, it was fast paced. It was nonstop. So, I mean, that, that's part of it that helped you just, I mean, you're just going to shed weight if you have excess when you get here. And obviously, you know, coming in early in the morning and doing cardio with, Coach Ackenberger and, you know, the Coach Savage's staff, it's just, I mean, you don't really have a choice. You know, if mm -hmm. they want you to get down, you're going to get down. But obviously mm -hmm. part of it's still on you. What was what was your least favorite, but your least favorite workout exercise thing that they made you you're like, oh, man, I really don't want to do this, but I know I got to do it. Oh, the elliptical. The elliptical? I, yeah, I'd have to do like 30 minutes on that, like seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> It was just so, so boring, just nonstop, just going and going. And, you know, that, I mean, it's not like terribly hard. Right. I just, Did you have a certain number you had to hit on the elliptical? Like, do you have to go a certain speed or a certain duration other than, or is it just 30 minutes and do it at whatever pace you want? It would be like, like 30 minutes above six miles an hour or something like that. Just stay okay. above that the whole time. So nothing crazy, just, just work basically. Is that better or worse than if they put a treadmill on and put it on, you know, whatever, whatever speed oh, and, and it's better. not going to change? Better. Definitely so better, better than, than that. that. But okay. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, in terms of the O-line, one of the things I've always found interesting about that position group is you have to be so tight knit and you always see it's, it's mostly guys that have been around the program a while that know each other. What goes into building that bond and staying as connected as you need to be both on and off the field? Um, I think a big part of that is kind of the locker room, you know, how you how you talk to each other, how you treat each other. Like, I feel like as a group from the freshmen that just got here to Stuart and Gene, the seniors of the group, it everybody is, you know, it's it's kind of like a family. There's no, oh, the young guys are with the young guys or the old guys. Like, we all joke on each other. We all make fun of each other. It's like, a, it's just a kind of a family unit. So, you know, it, it outside of football as well, you, you got to spend time together to kind of build that chemistry. But um, in our case, like the starting five have been together for a few years now. So we kind of know each other what, what we like on and off the field. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. So what are, is there like a, an off the field activity that's a go-to for you guys or certain, you always like to go to a movie together. You guys like play video games. What, what's the thing off the field that keeps you connected? It depends. You know, some some guys will go and they'll play video games together every once in a while. We'll go as a group and kind of go hit a buffet or something. You know, all the big guys. That's, <laughs> no, nobody dislikes that. So there's always that option. You guys need buffet. You know, buffets were shut down throughout COVID. Bring the buffets back for the linemen, right? We got we to yeah. make this a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the other part about being on the line, and when we talked about this a little bit earlier, is you know there's the the lack of uh, the lack of hype, right? You don't get you don't get the glory that the quarterbacks do, the running backs get for scoring or making big plays. So, what gives you the satisfaction to know that you've done your job if you don't get the glory and the headlines that the other guys do? Honestly, for me, 
uh, speaking about in the game, one of the best feelings is when you're blocking somebody and you're holding your block and you just see somebody go flying by you with the ball and untouched. That's one of the best feelings because you're like, oh, hey, I, I kind of did that. So you, you, <laughs> and you, you see them going and, and they go score and that's just a good feeling, you know, kind of helping other guys as well. But it, 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 they make us look good and we try to help make them look good. So it's kind of a two-way street in that regard. So when you get, if you're coming off a game where you got 400 rushing yards, everybody got to eat, right? What are, what are they doing for you guys? What are what are your quarterbacks? What are your running backs doing? How do they make sure you guys know you're appreciated? Man, they just say uh, running backs, they let us know, you know, there were holes. I mean, it, it felt easy tonight. You know, they just, they let us, if, if we do our job, they'll let us know. They're appreciative of it and the quarterbacks as well. So you talked about some of the things that uh, that the group does off the field. I'm curious for you, what is it that, that gets you going? What do you like doing away from football when you do have some free time? Um, I like watching movies, uh, all kinds of different movies. I, I kind of think I'm, you know, I, I'm pretty much a movie guy, like okay. off the field. Okay. Um, and then in the off season, because during the season, you don't really have time. But in the off season, I don't I like going fishing sometimes. That's fun because I'm from Clearwater. So I kind of grew up around that. My dad's from Clearwater, and he loves fishing, and I've never understood why. So now I, there's someone else that can confirm that. It must yeah. be a Clearwater thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get it. Um, I do love movies, though, so I'm curious if you're a movie guy. Give me give me a top three. I don't know if you can put them in order, but maybe just, just a few that are that are your favorites. I'll try to hit a, a couple of different categories. Okay, uh, we're, step- we're doing genres. Okay, I like this. Yeah. Uh, step Brothers is a classic. That's yes. a good one. Yes. And then... I like the perfect storm. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Yeah, that's yeah, a good yeah. one. And then, if I had to go one more, I like all of the the Lord of the Rings movies. That whole series. So kind of, a kind of diverse, you know, selection. But yeah. I like all kinds of movies. Yeah, it's across the board. Um, what was the last movie you saw in a theater? Have you been back to a theater? Shoot, um, I think the last movie I saw was The New Quiet Place. Oh yeah. See, like that was a movie you had to see in theater. Like that was, I was on a plane last week, and was, yeah. you can't watch this on a plane. You got to watch that in a theater where people yeah. are on edge. You know, it's it's just a, it's a different experience. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I got it's it's good diversity. I like that. What movie are you most excited about that hasn't come out yet? Um, I think I saw a trailer for one called Antlers, and it's it's like so, it's a mm. scary movie. Yeah. You know, when I was younger, me and my mom, my brother would always watch scary movies together. So I'm kind of looking forward to that one. You know just because that one looks interesting. That might be too scary for me. You might be you might be alone on that one. I, I don't know if I can go there with you. Yeah, um, I, I won't be watching it alone. <laughs> too scary for that. Um, what what athletes do you admire most? There, are there certain players you look up to, or whether it's a guy that you played with, someone you've only watched play? Honestly, growing up, there, there wasn't really anybody, because I, like I said, I wasn't really that into sports. Mm-hmm. But... Um, since I've started playing football, I would kind of say uh, Joe Thomas for the Browns. When I started playing, he, he was somebody that he was always focused on, you know, being the best player he could be, regardless of what was around him. Um, and then, like, I'm sure as a lot of athletes look up to LeBron James, just because the way he handles everything on and off the court, he's just professional in all aspects. He did make a very bad movie, though. Have you seen Space Jam 2? I haven't seen it, but cool. I, I, I don't. I don't think you can say it's bad because it, it's made. It's meant for kids. You know what I mean? I get. I don't know. I, I'll find some kids that have seen it to confirm that it's bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if you have a chance to watch it, I'm sure you'll agree, and you won't care if it's for kids or not. Yeah. Oh, it is rough, but but Joe Thomas. <laughs> Joe Thomas is a good guy to look up to. He uh he did very well in the NFL and he made a lot of money on the offensive line. So that's a good yeah. guy. That's a good guy to model your game after. Mm-hmm. Uh, being from the Tampa Bay area, what does it mean to play at Raymond James Stadium this coming weekend against USF? I mean, it, it's cool because you know, growing up in that area, you always drive by the stadium. You, you know, I've been to a Bucks game or two before a USF game, so. It's just a neat experience to kind of get – obviously, I have family there, friends there. So getting to play in front of them kind of in my hometown is is nice because not everybody can travel up to Gainesville and, and come watch a game all the time. So, you know, just different people that may not be able to see me play in person have that opportunity now. couple final things for you. Uh, one thing we know for sure about this weekend, it will be very, very hot. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's hot in the stands. I'm sure it's even hotter on the field. What do you guys do – 
when it is like that? Is this just something, do you even notice it because you practice in it? Or when it's like mega hot, do you have to prepare and, and kind of make different arrangements for that? Um, fall camp this year was, was pretty hot. So, I mean, that, that kind of got us ready. And uh, personally, you know, when it's hot like that, it's just kind of being, making sure you're more on top of your hydration, uh, eating well, you know, not making sure like after walkthroughs or, you know, practices, you're, you're replacing everything that you lose and, you know, really just take care of your body as you would any other day, but maybe step it up a little more with the hydration. Um, final question for you. I know it's hard to, to talk about improvements when you, you know, rush for over 400 yards and you put up a huge show like that. But when you went back and you guys looked at film, obviously the coaches are always going to find things you can do better. So what improvements are you guys looking to see from week one to week two, especially as it relates to the offensive line? Um, for the off- offensive line, I would say consistency. There were times where, you know, we, we, cover our guys up and there'd be big runs and, and it would be successful. And then there'd be other times where say four guys block their guy and, and one guy might make a mistake or just be slightly off levels. And it, it kind of messes up the play. So just being all on the same page, you know, all using our technique and our fundamentals properly and just being consistent all the time, not, not having any mistakes. Well, Ethan, even though you could not answer my music question for me, uh, you passed everything else with flying colors. So thank you so much for joining us and, uh, and good luck this weekend in Tampa. All right. Thank you. Go Gators. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice. And please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.